Well, Luke chapter 7 is where we'll be today if you have a Bible uh, and you want to follow along. Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're in the series Good News for All People, and we're just going through uh, different encounters that Jesus had in the Gospel of Luke. And we're looking at how he's bringing good news to all people. That's what he said that he came to do in Luke chapter 4. And we're watching as he explains and shows what that actually means and how we can experience it. And so today, we're going to continue that. Uh, This passage that we're looking at today is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, There's probably a couple reasons for that. One is, um, this is the first passage that Courtney ever heard me preach. And so I think that's probably what uh, sealed the deal. Um, And so I like it for that reason. But also, and more importantly, um, this is just such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and who we can be with Jesus. And so I hope that it brings hope to somebody here today. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We're going to walk through it and then talk about what it might mean for each of us. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Already in Jesus' life, and this will continue to be true throughout Jesus' time on earth, Jesus was opposed by the Pharisees. They were basically enemies. And the Pharisees were people who were religious leaders. They knew the Old Testament. They were people who did really well with black and white, but didn't do so well with gray. They had a rule for everything. They cared a lot about them being morally upright, and they also wanted you to be morally upright. And if you weren't, they would let you know about it. The Pharisees today would be people who are uh, very strict about making sure that you wear a mask. And they also would have been people who were very annoyed at how serious everybody takes wearing masks. There are people who, there's a black and white way to do it, they don't do well in the gray. And the reason that they had so much trouble with Jesus is because in, in their mind, Jesus was someone who was like them, he was also morally upright, and yet he also spent a lot of time with sinners, And they couldn't understand how somebody who cared about keeping the law as much as they did would be around lawbreakers. It confused them, and eventually it made them mad. And there's already some conspiring going on amongst the Pharisees to get rid of Jesus. There's already conflict that's been started earlier in chapter 7, and yet here is a Pharisee who is curious about Jesus and wants to invite him to his house. We don't know if he had good motives or not. Most likely he had bad motives. And yet Jesus accepts his invitation. Even though Jesus is aware of the tension, the conflict, even though Jesus is aware that in many ways these people are enemies with him, he still goes to his house to have a meal. And I think there's a lesson for us in our culture today from Jesus. 
And the lesson is this, that it's okay to be friends with people and to interact in a positive way with people, even if they disagree with you. It's possible to be okay interacting with someone, even if they're in a different political party than you, and even if it's just your neighbor who doesn't keep up their yard. Like, um, those people you can still be friends with. You could still have nice, positive interactions with. So Jesus is aware of the opposition, and yet he decides to accept the invitation, and it says that they were reclining at the table. And this was an ancient Near Eastern way of eating, also true of uh, the Roman Empire in many cases. But in the ancient world, they didn't have chairs. And so what they would do when they were eating meals is the table would be in the middle. Everybody would gather around and they would lean on their, their elbow or their forearm with their feet away from the table. And this was actually good for a number of reasons. One, it kind of got everybody close. And so there was uh, a lot of um, close community that was built around the table. But also it kept your feet away from the table uh, and generally feet were pretty dirty in the ancient world. And so that was also uh, good from a health concern. And so that's what they're doing. And most scholars think that in this particular instance, the fact that they would have been reclining at table like this means that it was a large gathering. This was pre-COVID, and so there was no social distancing being required. Um, People were... uh, Dozens and dozens of people were crowded around this table for this meal. All their feet are on the outside as they're all on the inside. And here's what happens. Verse 37. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. Now, this woman, it says that she was a sinner. And the term sinner in the Gospel of Luke always denotes a certain type of person. This is not just like, yeah, she's a sinner. Like, we're all sinners. It's like, this is a woman whose reputation preceded her everywhere she went. Most scholars think that she was probably a prostitute. And because it's this smaller town, people would recognize her and know her story. They would know her past. And a woman like this ordinarily would never be interested in going to a Pharisee's house. For one, she would never be invited, but she wouldn't even want to go if she was. Why would she want to go and be made to feel even worse about herself than she already feels? And yet this particular evening is different. And she's interested in going to the Pharisee's house just because Jesus is there. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And I think the reason is because Jesus had a yes face. A yes face. 
Here's what I mean by that. I I got that term from Chuck Swindoll in his book, The Grace Awakening. I read that uh, a number of years ago. And in the book, he tells this story about Thomas Jefferson when he was the president. Um, Thomas Jefferson had his cabinet members and they were off on this journey riding their horsebacks and they came to this river and they were going to cross at the bridge, but there had been some flooding in the area and they couldn't cross on the bridge. And so they were going to have to get with their horse, go through the river to the other side and it was dangerous and they had heard of others who had lost their lives and so uh, they were preparing to, you know, take this risk by riding their horse across the river when this man came up beside them and didn't have a horse. And without a horse, there was no way this man was going to be able to get to the other side. And so he looks up at Thomas Jefferson and he says, can I hop on with you? And so Thomas Jefferson obliges him and allows him to jump up on the horse. And the cabinet members are offended by this because they're like, this is the president. Show some respect. And so they're arguing and grumbling about this man while they're going across. But when they get to the other side and everybody's safe, they get down and they they start to yell at this man. Didn't you realize this was the president? Didn't you realize that President Jefferson is not the person that you should inconvenience in that way? And the guy was taken back and he said, I'm sorry, I didn't know that he was the president. All I know is that when I looked up, his face said yes, but all of yours said no. His face said yes. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Just their presence alone was disarming. Just their presence alone made you feel like, you know, whatever problem I've got, this person would want to help. My grandmother was a person like that. Her face alone, her her demeanor, her presence was warm, kind, and inviting. And that's the kind of person that Jesus was. People who were nothing like him liked him. And so this woman, whose reputation precedes her, this woman who literally walked around with a label, sinner, like a scarlet letter, Everywhere she went, wanted to go and be with Jesus, even though he was at the Pharisee's house. And so she goes and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume with her. This alabaster jar of perfume would have been very valuable. It was something that perhaps she had used to make herself more presentable for her sinful lifestyle. And now she's carrying that with her, verse 38. And she stood behind Jesus at his feet. So remember, he's, the feet are on the outside. She gets into this party. She's not noticed at first. And she's standing behind Jesus at his feet. And she just starts weeping. Why do you think she's weeping? I don't know for sure because the text doesn't say. Perhaps she was overcome with the embarrassment of realizing how out of place she was. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you just, 
you felt like, I don't belong here. Maybe for you, you have to think back to middle school to feel that way. But you know that feeling of being out of place. Maybe she's overcome with that embarrassment. But I think based on what happens, she's definitely overcome with the fact that even though the rest of these people would reject her, Jesus loves her. She's standing behind him at his feet, weeping. And she starts to weep so much that she can begin to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. A woman in the ancient Near East, similar today in the Near East, would never let down her hair in public. It was extremely shameful in their culture for a woman to do that. And yet here she is in this room where already people would judge her. And she does something that only those who maybe had lived in her house before would have seen. She lets down her hair and she begins to dry and rub Jesus' feet. She takes the perfume and begins to anoint his feet or to massage his feet. And she's kissing them. And the word kissing probably, uh, probably means she was just embracing. She was she was demonstrating her love at Jesus' feet. Now that is awkward, okay? It doesn't matter what culture you're in, that is weird, all right? And it's especially weird in this culture given the fact that everybody is trying to have this meal where they're debating and discussing theology and the Bible and then Here's this woman who doesn't belong, who's acting like this. And so the Pharisee, whose name is Simon, has a thought while this is happening. And his thought, he doesn't say it out loud, he just thinks it, but his thought reveals what he thinks about every single person in the story. Here's what he thinks to himself. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. So this man sees what's happening and he has this thought. His thought is first condemning of the woman. What is she doing here? His thought also then reveals something about what he thinks of himself. He belongs at the table with all of the other morally upright people. He belongs at 
the table with Jesus, but this woman doesn't belong. It also reveals what he thinks about Jesus. He says, if he were a prophet who had come from God, then wouldn't he know what kind of woman she is? But because he doesn't know, because he's ignorant, he can't really be from God. And this shows that part of his motive in inviting Jesus to his house was just to figure out who is Jesus. And that's the question that was on everybody's mind at this point in Jesus's life because he's healed so many people. He's taught so many great messages. He's done so many miracles. Everybody's trying to figure out who he is. And so the, the Pharisee thought, Maybe he's a prophet, but now, nope, he can't be a prophet because he doesn't even know that this woman's a sinner. I think there's something interesting even there. That even though this woman was very sinful and her reputation preceded her, Jesus' character was so intact. There was so much respect and resolve that this man had for Jesus, that what his thought, his thought wasn't, well, Jesus must actually be sinful behind closed doors. He doesn't think that for a second. Jesus's character was marked by absolute resolve and conviction. And so it's not that, okay, Jesus, this woman is doing this to him, so maybe Jesus is a sinner himself, he doesn't think that. He just thinks this guy must not know. And then this little thought that he has also reveals what he thinks about God. Because see, if Jesus was a prophet from God, he would reject a woman like this. Because that's what God would do. That's why we've rejected her. We care about moral purity so much that we've cut out any temptation from our life and any person like this from our lives. The Pharisee's thought here reveals what he thinks about everybody in the story. She's a sinner who doesn't deserve to be here. I'm good and I do deserve to be here. Jesus can't be from God. He ought to know who this person is if he was, and God would reject a person like her. Have you ever been like Simon before? Isn't it true that many times we are quick to judge others on their actions, but ourselves on our intentions? We have a higher standard for you than I have for me. But Jesus, verse 40, this is so cool. Jesus replied to him. Now remember, he didn't say anything out loud. But Jesus replied to him. And this man thought before He couldn't be a prophet because he's so ignorant. He didn't even know this woman was a sinner. And now Jesus is going to show him, actually, not only do I know she's a sinner, but I actually know what you are thinking. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He kind of swallows deeply and says, say it, teacher. 
verse 41. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? So he just makes up this story. Hey, this guy had loaned out some money. To one person, he'd given 500. The other person, he'd given 50. Neither of them could pay. So he decides, all right, we'll just forgive the debt. We'll just cancel the debt. Which one's going to love him more? Which one's going to be more grateful? And Simon the Pharisee is like, is this a trick question? (laughs) Jesus is always doing these weird questions. Have you ever been called on in class or something and you're like, I think that this is the answer, but you're, the way you're setting me up, it looks like I'm about to be, look like an idiot in front of everybody, you know? And so he's thinking, and so Simon answered, verse 43, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. All right. And then, verse 44, turning to the woman. Now Jesus is going to explain why he told that story. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? So now Jesus is looking back at his feet. He's turned his back on the people at the table. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. It was a customary practice that when you would invite a guest over that you would wash their feet or you would have someone there to wash their feet. It wasn't required, but it was just a nice gesture. But he didn't do that, but she did it with her tears. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. Again, this is just a customary greeting. It would be a nice thing to do. But Simon didn't go out of his way for Jesus. And yet the woman has. Verse 46, you didn't anoint my head with olive oil but she has anointed my feet with perfume. It would have been a normal thing to welcome a guest with some oil on their head as just a way of refreshing them. He didn't do that, but she has. What's the difference? Why was this woman willing to come to a place where ordinarily she would be so embarrassed and so rejected? Why was she willing to come to that place and make a fool out of herself? By weeping and letting down her hair and pouring out this expensive perfume that was very valuable to her. Why is she willing to do all of this extravagant, embarrassing stuff? When Simon, who had invited him over, didn't even do the most basic common courtesies. Why? Verse 47, Jesus says, I'll tell you why. 
her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he pronounces to her what was already true, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, you remember the parable? See, Simon, you don't perceive that you need me for forgiveness. But she knows that she does. And the reason that she's doing all of this here the reason that she came, the reason she subjected herself to your judgment and all these other people's judgment, the reason she let her hair down, the reason she made a fool of herself is because she has been forgiven. She stood neath a debt she could never afford. But though her sins, they are many, my mercy is more. Verse 49, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a beautiful story and it it teaches us something beautiful about who Jesus is and who we can be. Jesus is not just a good moral teacher. He is not just someone that, yeah, if we listen to the Sermon on the Mount and if we love others as ourselves and if we would be generous to one another, then we could turn society around. He's not just a person with good moral teaching. He's not just a person with with keen insight into the human spirit and the human condition. So that if we just analyze his teachings and sayings and think deeply with one another and discuss and debate how best to apply his teachings, then we'll be able to feel better about ourselves and live a better life and make a better society for people. All that stuff is true about him. But it's not all that's true. Jesus is not just a good teacher Jesus came to earth to be the savior for sinners. Simon did not have love for Jesus because he didn't think he had anything to be forgiven for and Jesus would not be the person he would come to if he did. The woman pours out all of her affections at Jesus' feet because she knew that she was a sinner and she knew that Jesus had forgiven her. And that's the difference. So the question that you need to ask yourself is do you believe that you're a sinner who needs a savior? Some of us have sinned greatly, others have sinned less, but all of us are corrupted by sin and need a savior. Do you believe that? 
most people in the world are willing to admit that they're not perfect. But that's not the same thing as acknowledging that you need forgiveness. Here's what I mean. For a lot of people, yeah, I'm not perfect, but it's not that serious. It's not that serious of a problem. Nobody's perfect. So we're not accountable to anyone. We don't need forgiveness for that. That's just the way life is. People make mistakes. For others, they recognize that I'm not perfect, but the good outweighs the bad. I've done more good than bad, and so overall, I'm a good person. I don't need to be forgiven for anything. I mean, every once in a while, sure, like my wife needs to forgive me, but like in an ultimate sense, like I'm not accountable to anyone. I'm a good person. Sure, there are some people who have sinned a lot and we need to lock them up, but I'm not one of those people. Or there are people who know that they're not perfect and maybe this is your story. And you're so aware of your shortcomings and your failures that you live your life as if you need to settle for less because of that. You don't deserve to have joy. You don't deserve friendship like that. You don't deserve good things in life because of how bad you are. I was listening to an interview this week with a woman who was talking about how she felt because she had, she had so much just brokenness in her past that she for many years lived her life as if she should never be allowed to marry a good man. She just didn't deserve it. So again, she recognizes that she's not perfect That's not the same thing as acknowledging that you need forgiveness. When I was in high school, um, I was 16. I was driving home in my uh, 1997 black Ford Ranger. It was a stick shift. I love that truck. Um, I think it's still at my uncle's house, but I'm not, I don't, uh, we're getting off track. Um, um, and I was driving home one night, and where uh, my family lived was in this neighborhood that was very wooded, and uh, to get to our house, you had to go down this uh, big hill and then up a big hill, and um, it was at, at night, because of all the trees, it was dark, and it was kind of hard to see, and so I'm driving home one night, and all of a sudden, this cat darts out uh, across the road, and it... Uh, you know, I slammed on my brakes and kind of swerved to the right a little bit, and I missed it, and I saw that the cat made it safely into the bushes. And so I was like, whew, okay, thank you, Lord. Like, that would have been really bad. Um, and it kind of startled me a little bit. I was a new driver. And so I start to accelerate up this hill, um, and all of a sudden I hear this loud thud, like, doof, doof. And... 
So that shook me up, and I'm like, what was that? And so I look in my rearview mirror, and I see this big dog-shaped figure lying on its back doing this with its arms and legs. And so I did what any responsible 16-year-old did. I drove home as fast as I could, all right? Um, and so I, I come running into my house, and I'm like, Pops, Pops, that's what I call my dad, Pops, I think I just ran over the neighbor's dog. And granted, it was a black dog, um, and I think the cat set up the dog, is what I think happened. But... Um, <laughs> But I'm like, I, you know, and so my dad says, well, what makes you think that? And I said, well, it's laying in the street back there. Um, and she was like, oh, gosh. And so we uh, drive back down. It was like literally like feet from our house. We drive back down there. We take this blanket. We pick up the dog. We kind of examine it a minute to see, like, is it alive? Should, what do we do? What do you do in that situation? I don't know. Um, and so we put it in the back of my truck, and we drove to the neighbor's house. And I have to go to the door, and the second-grade daughter comes to the door. Okay? Now, let me tell you what would have not been appropriate in that moment. It would not have been appropriate for me to explain the news right there in front of her and say, but you know what? It's not that serious. There are other dogs. And it would not have been appropriate for me to say, look, I know that I ran over your dog, but I'll make up for it because I'm going to do more good for you than this one bad thing that I did. I'll get you another dog. It'll be basically the same. Your relationship with this dog will be great. And I'll mow your yard and I'll pick up rake leaves and I'll even come over and play with you some if you want. I don't know. And so, look, we'll make up for it. And it would also not be appropriate for me to just never drive again. Like, I just, I don't deserve to drive. Or to warn you before I come to your house. Do you have a dog? Uh, because I, I no longer am allowed to be around those. The only thing that I could hope for in that moment was forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It's when you owe someone and they cancel your debt. And by canceling the debt, forgiveness always requires that the person who has been wronged absorbs the loss themselves. Rather than make you pay, I'll pay. Rather than you owe me for the loss, I'll just cut the losses myself. And listen, that is what Jesus does for sinners. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. But our sins, though they're many, his mercy is more. Have you experienced forgiveness like that? When you think about God, what do you picture? 
Do you see an old, white, angry man in heaven who's just waiting to pull you over like a cosmic policeman? Jesus proves that God wants to forgive sinners, not reject them. While we were still his enemies, Christ came and died for us. The reason that Jesus can offer forgiveness to this woman here in the party and the reason that he can offer forgiveness to you is because Jesus went to the cross and died in the place of sinners. We had robbed him of his glory by sinning against him and Jesus absorbed the loss himself. What we deserved to pay, Jesus went and paid on the cross. He died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And he was raised from the dead in power and glory so that he can say, it worked. The cross worked. And now he says, follow me. How should we respond to this message? How should we respond to the good news, the forgiveness that Jesus brings. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the first step for you is to recognize that you are a sinner, but Jesus is a savior. Come and believe in him. Come and trust in him. He may not take away all the consequences of your sin, He may not remove the label sinner, the scarlet letter that you've had to carry around. He's not going to change that overnight. But there is a peace and a freedom and a joy that you will experience in a way that you can't even really explain, that the Holy Spirit will make true to your heart when you come and trust in Jesus and what he accomplished for you in his death and resurrection. So come and believe. If you're a Christian, are you living in grace? There's grace for that too. (laughs) Are you living in grace? Have you been around church for so long that you've got this list of rules and laws that you're supposed to follow? And you've slowly began to operate as if Christianity is primarily about what you do for God. But it's not. Christianity is primarily about what God has done for us in his son, Jesus. And every standard that you need to meet, Jesus met. So you can walk in grace. Is that an excuse for sin? By no means, Paul would say. Here's a question for you to consider. Does the depth of your love demonstrate the depth of your forgiveness? How might the Holy Spirit be leading you to love more sacrificially? Let me talk to husbands and wives dads and moms for just a minute. 
Is your home a home of grace? Is your home a home of grace? Does anyone in your house feel like they have to walk around on eggshells because of you? When your kids do something wrong, are they more likely to come running to you or to have to hide it from you for a little bit? As people who have experienced God's grace in the person of Jesus, we can create an atmosphere of grace. And that should certainly be true in our homes. In a home where there's grace and forgiveness, there's also a freedom and a peace where people can be themselves. People can let down their hair. That should be true of our homes as Christians and it should also be true of our home. God's home, the church. Are we a place where sinners would feel welcome? If everyone had your attitude in this church, would this be a place of healing and grace? Jesus came to bring good news for all people. That includes sinners like me and like you. Now as we respond, we're going to stand in all of his grace. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. God, if there's anybody who's listening to this, who is overwhelmed by their sin today. By the power of your spirit, would you overwhelm them with your grace? It's in Jesus' name that I ask. Amen.